Welcome to Dead House. I'm Dylan. And I'm Nathan. Welcome to 2024. Uh, yeah, for the listeners, we're currently... What is this, the last day of <laughs> 2023? Is New Year's Eve. But... This is New Year's Eve for us, but by the time they're listening to this, boy, it's yes. next year already. They haven't listened to a podcast since last year. Welcome to the future. Hello from the past. Oh my God. What has your Christmas week been like? Uh, hectic, I dare say. Not so much hectic, but... I think I mentioned in the last episode that me and my father were going to climb up on our roof to replace about 800 or so screws. Mm. And uh, Brisbane decided to have a heat wave yeah. because it knew we were going up there. And then severe storms. And then severe storms. So, I mean, hey, I'm glad we got the roof screws and shit replaced yeah. because seeing all the Gold Coast shit where it was like a literal tornado and yeah. like roofs getting torn off. People dying. I feel, a, I feel a bit more secure in mm. my now home. Yes, true. Good call. And uh, it's quite a lovely day here, actually. Looking out the window, I can see the sun shining. It's a bright blue sky. The sun is shining. The tank is clean. Yep. And here we are, indoors with aircon on. <laughs> yeah, wow. Man, I had the Boxing Day sales at work. And these days, Boxing Day sales go for like a week or more. And uh, we're running out of stock. People are, are spending too much money. I'm over it. Yeah. What a damn break. Who the hell has money to spend after Christmas? Yeah, I know. You got Black Friday, then Boxing Day after Christmas. It's like, where is, where is Isn't this Isn't that also from? Cyber Monday? Oh, God. Are yeah. we dipping into our super? Like, what's happening? Why are these people not broke yet? Anyway. Debt. On a weekend now, and uh, here to talk about some scary movies. But uh, Before we get into today's movie, yeah. let's, let's talk about 2023 movies, right? 2023, man. We saw a few few movies at the cinema and uh obviously watched a whole lot for the pod yeah i mean i think it's definitely safe to say i've this year i've watched more horror movies than i ever have in any other year and that includes like going to movies Mm. i've seen more horror movies in the cinemas than i ever have i think that's all i've watched this year is horror (laughs) movies maybe like two or three that are not we watched uh christmas with the cranks on christmas day that's probably the exception (laughs) Is that Jamie Lee Curtis? It is. Yeah, there you go. See, it's somehow tied. That's kind of horror. You know, Tim <laughs> Allen, that's horror. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, Alex can only stand so much horror, so ours is usually petered out by various Disney or mm. adventure movies or rom-coms. Yep. But yeah, Love so Actually on the I, cards. Was, yeah, well, I think I skipped that this year, thank the Lord. <laughs> um, unpopular opinion. I'm not a big fan of that movie. Yeah, okay. okay. Uh, back to horror, though. Mm. 2023 20, was a good year for horror. I yeah. mean, it produced... What I think is your favourite horror movie now, right? Yeah, look, it's uh, it it would have edged out something from my top five. Talk to me is is now up there. We've uh, we've mentioned that in probably like twenty episodes mm-hmm. by now. Well, it's definitely on streaming by now. So if you haven't already mm. watched it, give it a go. Yeah, give it a shot. And um, even like films for this pod that I had not seen before we did the episode, it was mm-hmm. cool to catch up to some classics that I hadn't gotten around to yet. Um, even, like, there were some movies that came out that we saw together, like Scream 6 and Knock at the Cabin. Uh, we saw Evil Dead Rise. Mm-hmm. Um, we watched the bloody Reanimator and Body Melt screenings. <laughs> you saw Seven with Alex. You saw... Well, what else did you see? Uh, Insidious the Red Door. Oh, yep. Is the one yep. that springs to my mind. Mm. So, we were saying before we started rolling that it seems like this day and age, maybe one in every five horrors that come out is good. <laughs> And that's probably why I'm prejudiced to not going to the theatre to see horrors anymore mm-hmm. all too often. Like, I was let down with The Exorcist Believer. <laughs> yeah, but that was always going to end poorly. Yeah, I, think. I know. <laughs> I, had, I had high hopes. And <laughs> I did it to myself. Um, but yeah, what was, what was your, your favourite movie 
horror movie that came out in 2023. Was it Talk To Me? It. I'm not sure. It, a part of me thinks it's Talk To Me, mm. but I think part of it also is Evil Dead Rise. I can't think okay. of which one I like more, mm. but it might just be because Evil Dead has the whole, you know, other Evil Dead stuff holding yeah. up as well. You got the lore of it. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think... The, the, the pure nostalgia might edge it out a little bit. Mm. But Talk To Me was still very good. Even though Rise would be a close second for me, like, in that series, uh, it was cool that they sort of kept the the sort of setup that everyone knows about, like, being trapped in the one building and, you know, you read this this quote and all this stuff comes to life and tries to, to kill you all. But it was cool how they did it in a high-rise and instead of a book, it was, like, a vinyl record... Mm-hmm. Uh, they had some some interesting takes. They even had some cinemages in there, which mm-hmm. was nice. But yeah, that'd be a close second for me. But um, were there any films that you watched that we haven't done on the pod that you very much enjoyed? Like films you saw for the first time this year? In terms of for the pod, I don't think so. Because I think pretty much every horror movie I've watched this year that I hadn't already seen was for the pod. Mm. I can give you the opposite. Okay. And I don't know if it's technically a horror movie, so this might be a, you know. But sure. Underwater, I think I told you a while ago. Underwater. Was a movie that was pitched to me as being similar to The Descent, but underwater. Okay. I mean, hence the word, the name Underwater. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, and so I was pretty excited. It's got Kristen Stewart, which oh, okay. I like her. A lot of people don't, mm. probably because of her Twilight days. Uh, but then I also found it had TJ Miller in it, which I'm not a fan of. Who is that again? Uh, that's, if you've seen Deadpool, he's like the wisecracking friend. I think he oh, might okay. also be the guy from Cloverfield. Is he the bartender in Deadpool? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. Dude with glasses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, like, I don't know if it's because I went in with that, like, someone told me it was like The Descent, and mm. The Descent is one of my favourite horror movies. Yeah. And so I was hella let down. It was boring, it was... Shit, okay. Not slow, but like oddly paced. Mm. It didn't have much of a good story behind it. Characters I didn't care about. Okay. And yeah, so not the question you asked for, but I was disappointed this year by Underwater. Yeah, interesting. Okay. I mean, I saw some that like you had suggested to me that we haven't done on the pod uh, that I saw for the first time this year that I thought were quite good, like Smile for one. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think it came out in 2022. And uh, The Boy. The boy, yeah, 2016. Because I remember you mentioning that, and it, it popped up in a couple episodes. So one day I just popped it on, and Decided. I was pleasantly surprised. I'll ask you: Have you watched Insidious yet? No, <laughs> <laughs> I will get around to it because one of these days we'll have to do that on here. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, but yeah, and the the smile, uh, the smile, the smile. I love that. <laughs> the boy was one that you had suggested, so I was kind of keen to see that, and it definitely lived up to those expectations because you didn't spoil it or talk it up too much and uh smile is one that a lot of people around me had spoken about so i kind of had the bar set a little high for that one but Mm -hmm. it was still a cool concept very much up my alley it was like the happening done well (laughs) yeah that one was a sleeper one because i hadn't heard too much like hype or you know positive things about it i kind of Mm. just had heard that it was a thing i had very low expectations because it reminded me of that shitty truth or dare movie yeah yeah Uh, and so it had everything going for it true what was your favorite episode that we did like, not necessarily... No, the thing, yeah. The thing? I think, I think it's the thing, surely. Yeah. It's only a couple of weeks ago now, but I don't know. When it just I, when, flowed really when well. When I listened hey. to the edit on that one, it came out really well. Mm, we had some good theories. I also really enjoyed our It episode. We did chapters one and two together. I felt like that was that was pretty cool. I do remember us being worried that that was too much of an undertaking at the yeah. time. <laughs> like, how are we going to talk about two 
movies, two of the new movies mm. and two old movies and sort of some book stuff in there as well, all yeah. in less than an hour. Rest assured, my dad was a fan. Yes, well, so, that is good. I mean, he's a, the man to please sign. on that stuff. Yeah. And, uh, man, should we get into today's movie? The first, yeah, sure. Go for first, it. The uh, first horror film we're discussing of the year. Fuck, it's a big one. Yeah. It's pulled the classic. straight from the top five. <laughs> this is true. Alien, 1979, quite possibly my favourite movie of all time. <laughs> so, no pressure. No pressure at all. Uh, I hated it. No. <laughs> Obvious, <laughs> obviously not. Man, this movie scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. And as we've mentioned before on the pod, I think they just end up being some of our favourites because it just left such an impression. Yeah, for sure. And like growing up in a house with a fucking shower curtain. (laughs) All I could picture was a xenomorph on the other side of it. Yeah, but there's no shower curtains on the Nostromo. I know. (laughs) It's just much scarier than Psycho. Uh, I honestly don't remember the first time I watched it. Would you have been young? I don't think I would have been that young. It was definitely... In the period of my life where I was going back and watching horror movies because I had no longer been scared anymore. Yeah, okay. And so it just, I knew it was one of the classics. And so I was like, you know what? Time to watch Alien. I mm. don't know if we had the on DVD or if I had to like search it out online or anything. Yeah. But yeah, just watched it. I think I watched them like back to back to back to back. Yeah, <laughs> just, just yeah. A whole marathon, just like one, two, three in Resurrection. Well, that's true because like, what, four of them would have come out by the time we were even old enough to, yeah, to watch it, Yeah, this was pre-Prometheus and mm. Alien Covenant. Yeah, both of which I think we saw in the movies, right? Uh, I didn't see Prometheus in the movies, oh, but okay. Alien Covenant. I actually saw Alien Covenant before Prometheus. Oh, so. okay. Yeah, whack. And I, yeah, was super scared of this. And I think when I was younger, I actually preferred Predator because when you're a kid, it's like explosions and soldiers and yeah. Arnie and that stuff kind of sticks it's with got you the, more. It's got the one line as action hero. Yeah, but as I got older and sort of appreciated why Alien scared me so much and I got really into film techniques and everything, I could kind of see uh, sort of the art in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I even have a little... Chest burst a tattoo. You do, that's <laughs> to, right. That. To commemorate that love. Um, and the first one in particular, because I mean, the Alien franchise, we're looking at, what, six films and then two crossovers at this point, and a seventh one that's just been wrapped up. Oh yeah, that's right. So it's it's been quite the undertaking, but the first one, it kind of has a different tone to the rest of the saga. It's like the only one arguably that's like a kind of sci-fi, like thriller, like horror thriller it's all it's all the suspense yeah the well, it, it's sort of another one of those franchises where every movie is a different style mm, like you can, mm. it's, it's all you're often cited as the the best sequel to any horror movie a lot of people say don't know yeah. if i agree with that but you got the first one is suspense thriller you got the second one is more action mm. horror and then the third one what, what's the third one i guess that's the one's got like gritty and yeah it's almost like dark yeah just prison planet i don't even know what, yeah. to, what to call it it's it's more like a sort of b-grade horror as opposed to the first one being like a suspense thriller mm. i think but even then you've got elements of body horror with like the chest burster scene and oh yeah uh, it, the tongue fucking exploding <laughs> foreheads and shit yeah they've all got like the core things that you'd expect to find in an alien movie mm. which is the alien <laughs> but yeah and i mean we we spoke about aliens uh, at length in our sequels episode uh, and why we like that so much. But the biggest difference, I guess, apart from the tone of going from sort of horror to action is also, as opposed to this crew trapped on the ship with one alien picking them off, you've got heaps. It's like yeah. an army of them like ants. And they're just literally shooting them up with this group of Marines. Mm-hmm. So the whole uh, plot and sort of pacing is different as well. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but man, a, a bit of background about the OG one from 79. It was written by Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Shusett. And this sort of came after Dan O'Bannon wrote Dark Star, which actually became a movie in 74 with John Carpenter. Oh, right. Okay. But this was like if Alien was a comedy because they've got like a beach ball monster in this with like fucking feet. Uh, there's some, some witty dialogue. Like it's just hella campy. And uh, I think Alien is what he wanted Darkstar to be, but knew he didn't have the budget for at the time. Right. Speaking and of budget, how much was this? Like 11 million? Yeah, this was done on a budget of 11 and it went on to make, I'm going to say 184.7 <laughs> mil. Okay. At the box office, because I found a few different amounts. Old movies like this, such classics, is always hard to tell. Yeah. I don't, know, I don't think they fully tracked it back then either. There's always inflation, but yeah. it's made a lot of money. Yeah, for sure. So that 184.7 million could be adjusted for inflation. Uh, but either way, hella successful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it was not only directed by Sir Ridley Scott, he also did the storyboard uh, that pretty much was adapted shot by shot. And did much of the handheld camera work himself. Damn, talented man. Very invested in this project. And he also returned for Prometheus and Covenant later on, which I have my reservations about (laughs) purely for the CGI and like some scenes in those films that he pitched for the original Alien, then producers thought wouldn't be a good move. And then he did it anyway in those later ones. Yeah. So. Well, I remember reading some of the stuff that the producers didn't want and that he had to cut or just not put in the original alien. Yeah. And I don't know this, some of the stuff that you're reading about, it's like, well, thank God that's not in the movie. Mm. That would be a terrible idea. Like yeah. all the, like the weird pseudo sexual stuff with, between the alien and Ripley. Yeah. Which I don't know that, that didn't make it into a resurrection. That was more like a motherly yeah. relationship. It got weird. But yeah, like what was it? Uh, Ripley was meant to be like completely naked in that final scene. Yeah. And it's like, I'm, I'm glad that mm. they didn't do that. <laughs> I think there was also originally a sex scene between her and Dallas. Yep, yep, that, that's right. Um, Tom Scarrett wanted removed because he's like, it doesn't serve <laughs> the narrative in any way. Yeah. And uh, that's why, like, I think when uh, really Scott sort of said to Scorny Weaver, look, there's going to be this scene where you have to strip down your underwear. She was totally fine with it because she could see it sort of being a sort of representation of the character's vulnerability in that moment where she like finally gets to unwind and relaxed and then alas there's like a fourth act sure, in this yep. film uh but yeah i mean apparently it was uh predominantly dan o'bannon's story um he grew up being like this sci-fi nerd in a remote town that didn't even have like tv or phones and um it was ronald chassette's idea who a friend was a friend he was living with at the time um to have like the whole chest burster and gestation element of it because they had the idea of sort of being stuck on a ship with this alien, but they were both stumped on how to incorporate the alien. Like, how did it get on board? (laughs) And then Ron's like, maybe it fucks one of the crew. (laughs) And obviously it would be a bit hard to just have like an alien rape scene. So what they did was their version of it, essentially. Sure. I mean, boil it down to it. That's the same. It's the same thing, just at a more acceptable to put in a movie (laughs) in a way. We've mentioned some of these names already, but uh, so the film is starring Sigourney Weaver, Mm-hmm. And uh, she began as a theatre actor, and this role actually almost went to Meryl Streep, strangely enough. Which Apparently, one is Meryl Streep? Is she the Julia and Julia person? Uh, I'm trying to think of a film that she's been in. She's an older actor that's been in heaps. I, just, it's I, not, I get her confused a lot with Susan Sarandon for some reason. <laughs> I get her and confused Helen with Helen Mirren. Mirren. Yeah, <laughs> okay. All those uh, old white ladies look the same. <laughs> 
But they were both theatre actors at Yale, so um, they were friends. And I think the only reason it didn't go to Street was because she was mourning uh, the death of her partner at the time. Oh. And, uh, apologies uh, for making fun of Meryl Streep. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then Sigourney Weaver ended up becoming this badass final girl that uh, sort of was in the core of the series throughout. So definitely worked in her favour. Uh, Tom Skerritt, who actually got the role of Dallas after Harrison Ford turned it down. Ooh, that'd be a weird one. Yeah. I mean, he, of course, was the protagonist in Blade Runner that Ridley Scott also did, but yeah, a bit well, later. And when was, when was Blade Runner? Was that 80s? Uh, was that it was sort of... 80s. It was okay. after this. But this was after Star Wars. So Yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah, that would have been a very strange turn. Mm. Uh, John Hurt, Harry Dean Stanton, to name a few. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, a six foot ten Nigerian art student, <laughs> Balai Badeo, in the xenomorph suit. That's the... <laughs> As the uh, titular character of the alien, mm-hmm. who I believe the crew met him at a bar nearby. They just saw like how like tall and slender and beautiful he was and happened to be into like graphic design and everything. And he really appreciated what they were doing. So signed on. And this was his one and only acting role. Damn. I mean, that's that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like when we were speaking about Halloween and you had, um, fuck, what was his name? Nick. I've got no idea, mate. Oh, my God. I can't believe I'm drawing a blank on his name. Who played The Shape? I couldn't tell It was like a friend of Carpenter's. This was weeks ago we did that episode. I've got nothing. Nick Castle. There you go. There you go. Good God. Ban me from this podcast. That's that's awful. Anyway, um, it's kind of just like by chance like that and becomes like one of sort of horror's most iconic characters. A bit of background on Alien, though. It was originally titled Star Beast. That's awful. It is god actually, awful. Which is weird because for those that love Doctor Who, here, mm. Sean, this is for you. The most, one of the most recent specials was called The Star Beast. I wonder if there's any relation. Ooh, maybe. It was nothing like the movie Alien. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, an alien in sort of this context is a star beast, but yeah. I'm just very much glad he changed it. Uh, and it was famously pitched as Jaws on a spaceship, which I can kind of see. I mean, the fact that the alien has, what, four minutes of screen time, mm. I can definitely see that. Picks off people one Picks by one. Picks off people one by one. They're, like, on this one set, predominantly. Mm-hmm. Mm. Also partly inspired by comics called Seeds of Jupiter and Death Rattle, which uh, O'Bannon no, was a big fan of. No surprise, I've not heard of either of those. Yeah, well, Seeds of Jupiter apparently involves a guy eating this mysterious seed that results in this octopus creature bursting from his stomach. So well, I, can can, s- I can see the relation there. Yeah, you see that one. And then Death Rattle was this astronaut who I think finds this ancient artifact and he, it's like a vase and he cracks it and this spirit or whatever comes out and like goes in through his mouth and overtakes him and he sort of slowly evolves into that creature. So well, Again, can, definitely... Yeah. You can definitely see what elements came from those. Yeah, which I thought was pretty interesting. And in the original script, the Xenomorph died in the explosion of the Nostromo after Ripley sets it to self-destruct. But Scott definitely wanted like a final fight in there because really if it ended like that, it's kind of just Ripley and Jonesy running through the corridors to get to the escape pod. She gets off, boom, happily ever after. So Yeah, there's not really a sense of like catharsis or closure mm. for like, oh, you don't get to see the alien die. It just died in an explosion. Yeah. Yeah, not not a very climactic ending. I mean, literally ends with a bang. But yeah. other than yeah. that, not a very climactic ending. And that's kind of what I was sort of hinting at before when I was saying they kind of slow it right down again, like the opening, and let Ripley kind of relax then all of a sudden it all picks up again for one last year up. Mm-hmm. 
A little little more background info. The blue light in the egg chamber when uh, Kane finds the the face hugger that latches onto him, that was a laser from The Who's stage show that they were testing at the soundstage next door. The Who? (laughs) Had to be done. (laughs) Yeah, very good. Uh, So that was pretty random. Hell yeah, and that set, I mean... The whole set, every set on this thing. Mm. I forgot how big it was, how big it looks, the fact yeah. that it's all practical. Yeah, dude. Incredible. Yeah, and uh, I was nervous re-watching it because we watched this the other night uh, with the boys because Sean had never seen it. <laughs> I mean, no surprise, he's not seen anything. Yeah, and I was nervous that scene with the blue light was going to look really bad. <laughs> yeah. Like, you'd see a laser in the yeah. corner or whatever. But no, it was, it was quite nice with that mist and everything. Um, the xenomorph itself, they used shredded condoms for the tendons in the mouth and KY jelly for its saliva. Bloody KY jelly, it's everywhere, man. More sex symbols, as if a big phallus-shaped head wasn't enough. <laughs> um, and for that famous uh, dinner scene where you, you first meet the chestburster, um, they actually covered John Hurt in awful and, and blood. And uh, when the, sort of, uh, the chest sort of bursts at first and there's just blood spraying everywhere... Um, and then the little guy pops out. That was all just, yeah, cow guts. So apparently it stank to high heaven in there and they were trying to get the shot done uh, as quickly as possible, but it malfunctioned the first two times. So oh, lovely. It, like the chest burster worked, but it just didn't break the fabric of the shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, but that kind of worked to their benefit because the crew didn't know what it looked like. Mm-hmm. Like Scott kept all the creature designs hidden from the cast until shooting so he could get genuine reactions. So even though it took three times for it to actually pop out of there, um, their sort of reaction of horror was still uh, legit. S- somewhat genuine, yep. Yeah, which is pretty cool. And all the sets uh, were built as this kind of adjoining maze of corridors. So when the characters or when the actors were sort of in their filming, um, they could like turn whatever way they wanted to go. Uh, and it definitely helped create this sense of claustrophobia and mm-hmm. put you in there. Um, and you could forget that you were even like on a soundstage, which for all those sort of pursuits would have been really, really easy, I guess, as a cameraman as well. Mm-hmm. It's also kind of a weird, like, but good weird set because the opening scene is kind of shows you how massive this ship is because mm. it's, it's what, like, a, it's a transport ship just transporting like iron ore or some kind of ore or materials. Yeah, so it's yeah. It's a massive fucking ship but it's only got seven peoples and all the corridors are so tight. Mm. So it's like, okay, it's very claustrophobic, but then it's like miles and miles of claustrophobic tunnels and shit. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Because I kind of like that the, the opening after you sort of see the shot of the stars and that famous title card where the sort of markings sort of slowly fade in to reveal the word alien. And then it's just these slow like panning shots of the interior of the spaceship. Mm-hmm. And it's like empty, but operational. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting and um, something that really Scott kept kind of referring to uh, in the screenplay and in shooting was this sort of timeline and this ship as a used future. Because as far as science fiction films go, this was the first to have it look dirty because other ones before this were like, you know, white and clean and futuristic. And this was just like, literally, it's if you've got a crew of space truckers hauling uh, iron ore through space back to earth like this is what it would look yep, like yep. futuristic stuff but it, in the future it's kind of old and worn down yeah it's still working class characters um you know like even in the dialogue they're bickering about bonuses and yeah. like what job is theirs to do and 
you know, working for the man, this mysterious company, Wayland Yutani Corps. You know what I mean? So Do you actually hear that or see that in this first movie, or is that a later movie edition? I don't think they mention it by name, but you see sort of stickers or right, okay. um, official documents with that on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they don't really become, you know, like the ominous entity that they are, or it doesn't get revealed until three, where, because this one, Ash receives like the transmission that they want a specimen obtained and brought back whereas in three it's outright that this company wants the xenomorph for bioweapons mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> and they're not particularly subtle about it um but you mentioned before about the sets and everything and the practical effects man this film is a masterclass <laughs> in art direction well it yeah because it's obviously by the stan winston school yeah well right. parts of it he sort parts of had a of, okay. big hand i think in aliens Gotcha. But uh, they did, I think, the chestburster at least. Sure. But yeah, so, I mean, in terms of, like, practical effects in old movies, mm. this is top tier. Yeah, man. Up there. I mean, we watched this on Disney Plus the other night, and this is from 79. I could not believe how good, like, the face hugger looked yeah. on Kane's face. Like, the color of it and the movement. It looked so natural and organic. It was just beautiful. And uh, obviously, uh, a lot of that interesting sort of unusual anatomy of everything and the bizarre, almost gothic sets came from the mind of the Swiss painter, H.R. Giger, mm-hmm. uh, who I think O'Bannon discovered an art book of his and that's how he found this like biomechanical kind of style of painting that he was doing. And Giger himself was sort of majorly influenced by ancient Egyptian art and rituals and he kind of incorporated a lot of that into his art and even the, I guess, complex sexual cycle of the xenomorph. Because uh, when you get down into it, like, it's what sort of made this so original was just how kind of extravagant it all is. Like, instead of just going to this planet and there's aliens there, which had probably been done before and has been done since, yep. this was like, I don't know, it was so, so much more of a process and so much more thought out mm-hmm. where you've got, you know, an egg. They don't really show it in Alien. It's not uh, revealed, I guess, to aliens that there's a queen, right? Like bees or ants and... Queen lays all these eggs. They find these eggs and a face hugger comes out. Face hugger wraps itself around your face and impregnates you with an egg. Egg bursts out of your stomach and that little worm-like thing grows to a fucking seven-foot <laughs> beast in a matter of hours. Yeah. Like, it's just so elaborate and I just think that's really interesting. It is very cool. And even like um, Brandywine Productions that was the studio uh, that originally took O'Bannon's script on fired Giga after seeing his concept work because they just thought it was too obscene. <laughs> and uh, O'Bannon ended up paying him himself for further art concepts of the facehugger and the xenomorph. And um, it was Scott, actually, who rehired him and said, no, this uh, this is the alien design. Like, when O'Bannon showed him the art book, he's like, this is what it has to look like. So Hell yeah. It just would have been so different for its time. Yeah, I mean, my, my only gripe, about, one of my only gripes about this entire movie mm. is watching it the other day. And I'm sure you wouldn't really get it the first time you watch it. Yeah. But it looks like a guy in a suit. <laughs> yeah. At the like, end of the day. O- other than the head and all that, like the, the stuff on his back and shit. Yeah. It looks really good, but I cannot look at it mm. without seeing a man in a suit. When, when you see full and body shots, it, like the way it moves, totally yeah. you can see it's a guy in a suit, which I think is why it's smart that they did glimpses of it throughout. Yeah. Yeah, the way they can kind of get away with it to this day and age in that movie is just how strange it looks like with the elongated head and mm-hmm. the six fingers and the tail and all that kind of thing. But 
thank fuck they removed that scene where it's like coming towards Veronica Cartwright like a crab walk. Spider crab. I mean, I don't know. I, yeah, no, it ruins the, the scariness of that yeah. scene. If they left that in, I would have lost a bit of respect for this film. But that's in the director's cut though, isn't it? Or is that purely a deleted scene? I don't remember, but I've, I've seen it as a deleted scene Okay. Before. But we also thought when... Oh, what's his name? Brent is in the cooling tower and Jonesy's there and he looks up and closes his eyes while the water's on his face and then the xenomorph takes him. Like, we thought it showed a shot of the chains and if you look closely, you can see it, like, blended in up that there. Mu- that must be in the director's cut. Yeah. Unless, I don't know, we have fucking mandala effects. But... <laughs> oh, shit, maybe. Maybe it's in, like, Alien they do, show it. they do show the chains, but I couldn't see the, the alien. But it's a different... It's a different POV, yeah. POV shot. POV, POV fucking up. It's a different POV shot than I remember. Yeah, okay. And uh, you mentioned before, like, these sets, how large and detailed they were. They were predominantly built to scale. I think it was just the shots of uh, the planet's surface and exterior shots of the ship that were done, like, with miniatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and the insides were all done with, like, bones and plaster that Giga did himself. So he actually worked on set as well as doing um, creature design. And particularly when the crew finds the derelict spaceship after getting this distress signal that um, the ship mother uh, wakes them up from hypersleep from so they can go investigate. And uh, because you got uh, crew members like Parker and Brent that you know don't want to have anything to do with it. They just want to get it all back to Earth and get their money. And then Ripley kind of reminds them that's in their claws that if they do pick up a signal that there's, like, life out there. They need to go investigate it or they, like, forfeit all mm-hmm. their money. It's definitely Ash that tells them that, but other than that, oh, flawless. Ash. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I just love when Kane and, and a few others go in there and you just see, like, these massive long corridors and even when he goes down into, like, the egg chamber, it's this huge open space. And I guess they find this, like, ossified pilot that's, like, stuck to a chair with, like, a... I don't know if it's like a telescope or if it's like a gun or something. I think that's just the pilot's chair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, it's huge. And yeah. people wanted to cut that out of the film, um, out of the script even. But certain members, predominantly Scott and O'Bannon, want that left in because it separated it from like a B-movie. And uh, they thought seeing something of that scale so early on let people know that they weren't in for just like a humdrum <laughs> creature feature. They've got the budget and they're going to prove yeah. it. Yeah. My, you know my question is? Because yeah. you're this big fucking, what do they call it, a space jockey mm. behind the scenes, not in the movie. That'd be weird. Uh, but they're <laughs> called the, the space jockey, the engineer in Prometheus. Yeah. Absolutely massive. It's like chest is caved outward, so it's obviously had an alien come out of it. Oh, that's a good little uh, Easter egg. Yeah. yeah. But like how big would that alien be? Because like mm. the alien is the size that it is in these movies because it comes from a human. Yeah. And then you see eventually in the third one when it comes from a dog, it's more mm. dog shaped. When it merges with a predator, you know, it becomes <laughs> the bigger predalien and, and predalien. Like, how big would it have been if it came from that space jockey? Yeah, that's true. Because um, I guess it's like that theory. Is it like sharks or something where if you put them in a certain size tank, they won't outgrow that tank? Um, I've definitely heard that about something. I don't think it's sharks. The animal it is. could be turtles. I think it's turtles. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, I don't know if it'll be something like that. Because, like, they're in a ship of that size and it takes on characteristics of its host. If it were to come out of something that was, like, what, 15 feet tall, then maybe it would come out with a big elephant's trunk and... <laughs> I think it would have to. <laughs> if it's taken the DNA from, from its host. Yeah. 
And I guess getting back to the anatomy of the xenomorph itself, it has some really interesting features, like acid blood for one. I, I like that inclusion. Mm. In fact, I love it. I don't think I've seen that in anything else. Yeah, well, because I was reading the behind the scenes of it of why it came about as a, like a thing in the movie. Right. And it was apparently because they, I can't, honestly can't remember if it was the writer or the director or whoever the fuck, mm. was trying to figure out a way or a reason for like them not to just shoot it. Because if they have guns on the oh, ship, like, like how, spray how do we how do we make a menacing, scary creature that you can't just shoot and kill? Mm. And it's like, oh well, if it's got acid blood, yeah. then you can't shoot it. So you have to get more creative and start using like fire or trap it or inject it into space. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it raises the stakes a hell of a lot and yeah. makes it an already scary creature even more terrifying. Yeah, an apex predator with the perfect defense mechanism i mean like ash even calls it the perfect organism yeah and says it can't be killed and it's like i think it's a scene in avp where predator shoots like a net at it that slowly constricts Mm -hmm. and it like cuts into its head but then the acid blood just like burns the net away yeah it's just pretty badass and uh, i love that scene when ash is like dissecting the face hugger after it's oh no it's not after it's dropped off it's while it's on kane's face right you know like cuts the finger Mm -hmm. and then that drop just like Burns through like three floors in the in the ship, which is pretty wild, and uh, has like this glistening black skin with this giant head. There's a lot of argument as to whether it has eyes or not. Originally, it was like the mold of a human skull, and they put like this silicon over the top. So some people think its eyes are just like sunken in and like hidden, but I'm pretty sure it's intended to be blind. Yeah, I'm trying to think now because. You see, like, the skeleton, like, the skulls of aliens a lot throughout, like, the franchise and the Predator franchise. Mm. And I think in Resurrection, you also see from their point of view. Oh. But it, and I could I be, remember that. I could be misremembering that. I remember in three, you see, like, scurrying along the roof, chasing the prisoners. Okay, there's that. Well, because then I, I remember, yeah, in Alien Resurrection, when they're in the cage and there's the dude pushing the button. Mm. I, I'm sure you see it from their point of view. But that could just be, like, you know, the filmmakers um, taking liberties of saying, all right, yeah. this is what it's, you know, quote unquote seeing, but it's more like, mm. you know, how Daredevil sees. Yeah, true. Because there's scenes where Ripley is not far from it, but it doesn't recognize that she's there because she's like very still hiding against a wall or something. But you would think if it couldn't see, it would have heightened senses of smell and hearing. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we're digging a little bit too much into it. (laughs) And uh, the inner jaws are pretty cool. Uh, I think the reason for that inclusion was Giga already had the design before it was for the movie of this creature with this really long head. And then when they decided they wanted to use that creature design, he was like, all right, well, the appearance of something needs to be dictated by its function. So, like, why has this beast got such a long head? So, here you go. It's got a tongue with another set of jaws on it and that's kind of how it attacks most of the crew is it like grabs them like tongue punches its forehead (laughs) (laughs) or it'll like use its tail like spear them or something but that's kind of more done in the in the sequels and uh yeah they got its like parasitic behavior uh from studying wasps where they would sort of find caterpillars and inject their larvae uh, feed off it and over time just burst out of all sides of it. So, That's metal. Yeah. And I feel like you mentioned it before about the theme of rape, essentially, in mm-hmm. this film. Like, even back then in the 70s, people were kind of referring to this as like a male rape horror. Yep. Because you had things like Evil Dead 
in 80s, right? Where there's the tree rape scene, which yeah, is yeah, pretty yeah. gnarly. Um, but the whole, I guess, overtly sexual element of the xenomorph and how it breathes and, you know, you've got this thing that forcefully sticks something down your throat to lay eggs in there and it forcefully comes out <laughs> of your chest. Like, it definitely would have made men uncomfortable watching yeah. this. I mean, surely that was their intention. It had mm. to have been. There's no way you can look at it without seeing that. Yeah. And it's nice to, yeah, you just be like, oh, well, let's see how the guys like having that fear as well. But yeah. instead of just, you know, men being yep. the source of it, it's like, oh, what if it's a fucking alien? Yeah. Yeah. Even worse. It's like people, there's already like sexual and racial tension in this. So when mm-hmm. you have like xenophobia in it as well, um, <laughs> definitely a lot of a lot of un- underlying themes and that's probably why I like so much that you've got the heroine as the sole survivor. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got Ripley that becomes this like almost a mercenary like as the films develop because she starts out just being like a warrant officer or an engineer, I think. And um, because she's the only one that's ever lived to tell the tale, she has to be like inform people how to fight it mm-hmm. moving on. Um, and it's kind of like you get like 45 minutes into the film before anything really happens. Like some any would, action sequence? Some would call that a slow movie, a mm. slow burn. But I think this does it well enough that, like, it sets the characters up incredibly. Like, mm. this is... Usually, you just get some, you know, shitty characters no one cares about. Whereas yeah. this, like, it spends, like, half an hour really setting the characters up, characters up and their interrelationships between each other mm. and their motivations and setting up the character arcs that'll play, like, pay off throughout the movie. Yeah, and then yeah, eventually you just introduce like smaller and smaller bits of tension and like horror, mm. and then fucking bam, there's an alien. <laughs> and I think having an ensemble cast uh, that are all individual enough that sort of makes you, to a degree, care about them was really interesting. And even like a lot of the shots will just have all the characters in frame, which I thought was an interesting choice. And mm-hmm. you've got like conversations happening over each other and things like that. Uh, and then, um, I really like that Dallas is like the third person to die. He's the captain of the ship. So when he's gone, it's like, fuck, what do we do? Yeah. They kind of, you know, set him up to be, well, what you would expect to be the typical, you know, he's going to survive. He's going to be the hero. He's the captain of the ship, but no, he's dead. And then you get like the mutiny with Ash. I I like that inclusion because originally apparently it was meant to be more like, I don't think he was a character or if he was, he was human Mm. and it was they were meant to have more of a, um, like a relationship between mother, the CPU and the characters. Yeah, and the mother okay. actually was like this talking CPU, I think. Mm. But then they were like, well, no, that's way too similar to um, 2001 A Space Odyssey yeah. and Hal and stuff like that. Yeah, okay. And so they're like, no, let's get rid of that. Let's insert this character that's like an in-between, you know, character from the CPU mother and the characters. Mm. And then that also, you know, puts in with a corporation, another aspect into that one. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a bit of depth to it, which I quite like, and uh, even you know that it is a bit of a slow burn to get to that famous dinner scene. It's it shows like glimpses into like the lore of the alien as well, like the fact that you said you see the space jockey with like the outburst chest. Like, what does that mean? You don't know what that hole came from at this mm-hmm. point in the movie, um, and all this kind of thing, and when you see like the face hugger and it's it's gone and then they go in like looking for the little flashlights like it's a pretty tense scene as well um and you've got this really like tight framing on their faces when kane kind of comes out of his coma or whatever Mm -hmm. and he's like waking up coughing and everything so you can kind of assume like something's wrong 
mm-hmm. uh, or something's going to happen. But when you finally do you get that scary moment of the chest burster coming out, it's like right after they're all eating and laughing. You've got this like joyous occasion in a brightly lit room yeah. as well. And then one of the most horrifying things in the entire film happens. Yep. I just think that's a beautiful contrast. It comes out of nowhere. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. And um, I really love that pause where like you get the pop of blood and he pauses for a bit and then he keeps like writhing <laughs> yeah. around. It's just, oh man, leaves yeah. you on the edge of your seat. And little fella pops out and he kind of looks around and you get this <laughs> wet like slithering sound and he mm-hmm. screeches kind and of, s- yeah. scampers off into the shadows. Unfortunately, I can never watch that scene again because of fucking space balls <laughs> yeah like i love the movie space the top hat the cane yeah or he, he bursts out and then he gets fucking musical number the fucking hello mahani hello my baby but yeah true true so unfortunately like scary movie has done to scream you yeah space balls has done that to this scene in the movie yeah no that's fair um i think there's even like a parody you asked me when we watched this did sam yeah uh, samson did samson what the fuck <laughs> Mr. Thompson, uh, you asked me if the Simpsons ever parodied it, and I couldn't remember one, but I did this morning when there's a scene, I think, Willie is in the air ducts chasing Sanders' little helper. Oh, yeah. And he, like, scampers past the opening. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and I like that that Xenomorph at that stage, um, they find the shedded skin as well, mm-hmm. and even the skin is way bigger, so you can see, all right, the next time it comes into play, it's going to be much larger, mm-hmm. and then you get Brent killed in the cooling tower. And in that moment as well, I like the lingering shot of the cat when Jonesy's like peeking out from the corner and it's kind of like this one witness that you won't be able to speak to to find out what happened. Yeah. Yet somehow, Parker knows that it's huge. He's <laughs> like, you should have seen this thing. It was huge, but like he and Lambert yeah, that were bit, elsewhere. Well, I mean, I guess the fact, like the damage it did to the body maybe. Oh, uh, okay, like, yeah. I don't know, threw him around or lifted him up. I don't know. True. I think they originally had a scene where you saw all that. Like you saw him getting just shredded yeah, and okay. it was very gory and people were debating giving it an X rating. Ooh. And uh, they were like, okay, now we'll just cut that. <laughs> Which I much prefer because we like those glimpses, those little nibbles as the yeah. film progresses. And uh, when Dallas does get killed in the air duct, that's probably one of the most famous horror scenes. And very tense because of the tracker. And mm-hmm. I like that it beeps in sort of rhythms of two. So as it accelerates, it's like a metaphor for your heartbeat watching that scene. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the classic, like, oh, hey, if you want the, the viewers to get their adrenaline pumping, you mm. match the tempo of the soundtrack or the score to like a fastening heartbeat. Mm, mm. Fastening? Is that a word? Yeah. Fastening, yeah. Sure. Uh, uh, quickening might be the word you were looking for, though. Look, it could be, but let's move on. And so, yeah, so all right, you make the track of that, and then mm. it builds tension, builds suspense. Yeah, like I remember playing Alien Isolation, the game, and you've got that thing, uh, which is pretty gnarly because you can see it on the map at all times when it's around you. But the interesting thing about the mechanics of that game is if you're wearing a mic, it picks up your breathing or any sound you make in game mm-hmm. to attract the alien. Uh, and he's got a flamethrower on him, just like gives every. Every passageway, a quick once over <laughs> before he crawls down. And I like that when they say, like, you've got to go further or whatever, he drops down and then they lose signal. Mm-hmm. So then when they pick him up again, they're like, oh, it's right behind you. And then you get probably the only jump scare, I would say, in this film. Yeah, if we don't want to include that that dinner scene, a jump scare, then I'd say this is probably. Oh, and Jonesy the cat, I think, is like a slight jump, oh, jump scare fake yeah, out. That's fair. Um, yeah. But yeah, definitely one of the only ones in this movie. Yeah, yeah. And uh, 
that still got me when we saw the 40th yeah. anniversary screening at the cinema. Uh-huh. Um, and you find out that Ash has rerouted the ship back to the planet where they found the eggs, I presume. I'm not entirely sure. I can't remember. Because it just kind of says it's rerouted, doesn't mm. it? And it says, like, bring back specimen, screw, uh, screw, <laughs> screw expendable. <laughs> Crew expendable. And then Ripley finds him and he's got, like, this single bead of white fluid, like, rolling down his face. And that's when it's revealed he's an android. Yeah. I, it never occurred to me that going in, into this movie, like in the cinemas when it came out, mm. there's no indication he's a fucking android. Yeah. So this whole movie, you think he's a genuine character, human character. Mm. And because he, from all outward appearances, mm. other than you don't see him eat food, which you're not gonna, really going to notice that on the first viewing, mm. like you wouldn't know he's an android. So that comes out of nowhere. You see him drink, but it, it looks like milk. Yeah, and I mean, for all we know, it could be guy. like that same fluid. That yeah, I mean, that's up. just how you know he's a bad guy because he's drinking milk. <laughs> We've seen Get Out. Um, but also, actually, that's a good point because like I mentioned before, how a lot of the shots of the crew is like all the characters in frame. There's a lot of shots of just him on his own. Mm. And the fact that he's like the only one with the British accent because he's the science Obviously, yeah. he's like on his own a lot. They kind like of with the subtly computer. set him up to be an outsider. Yeah. And it's because he is. Yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. And uh, then you get another like form of rape where the way that he attacks Ripley is rolling up a magazine and jamming it down her throat. Very uncomfortable <laughs> to watch. Yeah. If, like, I don't know. I think I would have preferred if he just choked her. Like, it's just harder to see a fucking magazine get shoved in your mouth. Mm-hmm. But, uh, not exactly I, pleasant. No. I, I, I guess it's not meant to be. You know, Horror can be uncomfortable. Yeah. And I do like that he starts malfunctioning like after they hit him and you know Parker and Lambert come in or whoever and he's like speaking crazy, whirling around and he's like spewing this fluid and shit. And then they hit him in the head and it's like hanging off yeah. and that's when you see the wires exposed. Because I guess before that point, like you don't know he's a joy. To just, mm-hmm. Like an audience member watching this would probably just think he's insane. And not really know what that white shit coming from his forehead was. Uh, and I really like as well, just before you get the first full body shot of the Xenomorph is its silhouette in like a spotlight on Lambert when she's like getting the gas bottles with Parker. And mm-hmm. that's when, when they die. And that's where, thankfully, they cut that crab walk. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then Ripley initiates the self-destruction. And it clearly announces when she sets it up, it's got 10 minutes of self-destruction, five minutes for override. Yep. Like she gets there at like, I don't know, five minutes, 58 seconds or something. And then she's like, oh, you bitch, when it says it's closed off. Like, did she not, like, what's she trying to do? Like set off the alarm so all the steam comes out and flushes the Xenomorph out and then turn it off? I'm not exactly sure. I I never understood that. I assumed that she changed her mind for the self-destruct. Yeah. Like she set it to self-destruct. Um, and then was going to abandon ship and then somehow changed her mind after she sees they're dead, but then, oh, no, she can't. Yeah. But I'm not entirely sure. Maybe I'm dumb. Because, mm. I mean, it still works. <laughs> like, blowing yeah. up the ship, but you just lose all your awe <laughs> and a-, a way home, I guess. Uh, and she grabs the cat, Jones in a little cat carrier, and... Handles him bloody roughly. Yeah. Like she's running we, down the corridor. We corridors. were laughing as, yeah, as that plays out. She just kind of throws the carrier yeah. down and tumbles it across. <laughs> I mean, in a life or death situation, you know, fuck the cat. Well, yeah, true. And uh, yeah, that was quite funny. And um, she ends up getting to this escape pod. And this is sort of that moment where it winds down again. And she strips off and 
Uh, In the did, world's smallest underwear. Yeah. It's yeah. absurd. And I, I can't quite remember. Is it she's like crouching near something and the alien's arm like flops out? Uh, she's right up against the wall and it's kind of an oddly positioned shot because she's right at the left frame and then center frame is what looks like part of the ship. Yeah. And then it kind of just moves. Like, yeah. It's not okay. like anything specific happens, but mm. it just moves about a little bit. That's right. Yeah. And it reveals that the Xenomorph is on board and it yawns and you see like the inner mouth kind of come out and go back in and turns out the Xenomorph naps. Yeah. Well, I it doesn't come across in the movie at all and I'm not even sure if it was something that they turned into canon eventually. Mm. But the initial concept was that because it's got such a quick lifestyle and it grows into that full-size Xenomorph so quickly mm. is that it's actually got a very short lifespan and so ah, it's, okay. it, the reason it went to the escape pod wasn't to like get her or anything. It was just trying to find a like small quiet place to die. Oh wow! And so that's why it doesn't exactly fight back immediately. Yeah, okay. it's just crawled into the hole in a wall and is just gonna slowly die. I like that. Not not slowly, but like very quickly. You know, my mm. life is over. I've killed some people. Time to retire for the next <laughs> two minutes and die. Yeah. No, I, I kind of like and that. And then it's not until she's trying to blast it out that it then, you know reactivates and mm. tries to kill it with its last breath. Well, even then, it's quite lethargic, isn't it? So, mm. I can see that theory. But I do like when she notices it and she sort of discreetly gets into the suit so she can blast out the airlock. She gets everything armed and ready as it's like waking up and getting out. And she turns away and then the camera is just looking at the back of her head. I was like, oh man, that's some, <laughs> some good tension there. Like you're just waiting for it to grab her or whatever. And for whatever reason, she, like, waits until it's about to grab her and then, like, hits the button and shoots it out. Uh, and then it's this kind of comical shot of this, like, full-body alien <laughs> just, like, floating floating around with no gravity. That's when it the most looks like a guy in a suit. Yeah, yeah. And um, it just kind of, like, tumbles into the fucking... What do you call it? Like, the burner yep, in the back of the ship. ship. And she just blasts it and all this acid sprays out everywhere. Um, and then the film kind of ends with her signing Sign off, off and, um, yeah, going in a hypersleep with Jonesy and credits roll. And there you have it. That's the end of the movie. I will give her some credit, though. Like, she, the, the fact that she can remain calm oh, yeah. after everything has just happened and then she sees it in the ship. In my mind, I liken that to if, like, when I'm driving in a car and my memory, or not my memory, my, my mind, my imagination suddenly mm. just... Imagines a huntsman crawling oh, out, like out from the fucking you know sun visor or oh, onto my leg or whatever. Absolutely. And I don't know. The situation just reminds me of that. Like yeah. if you're driving and a huntsman crawls out, you kind of have to then remain calm and slowly pull over. And mm. but I wouldn't be able to. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Like I, I if I put like if I put it in those sort of words then I don't think I'd be able to do what she did. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be fucking dead. I'd freak out. Oh, man, that's true. That would take an immense amount of willpower. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I kind of like this because even watching this, Jaden was like, oh, yes, movie's over because <laughs> Sean had never seen it before. Because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it does slow everything right down again. And even then, like, after the aliens blasted out and destroyed in the burner, it is kind of like a slow dreamlike ending, I guess, because she's going into hypersleep. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it... Definitely works better having that last scare as opposed to just having she made it out in the escape pod, alien was left aboard the Nostromo and it blew up. Yeah, and it, like obviously in, in horror, the one last scare trope 
is kind of done to death and is usually very shit. Mm. But this this does it hella well. I like yeah. I like the way they do it in this much better than, you know, almost any other movie. I reckon it's because it's more played out because usually the one last scare yeah. is a jump scare. Yeah, it's like cheap. It's just like you've pretty much seen the thing get killed or, mm. you know, defeated. Whereas this, it's only assumed that it's defeated and so it doesn't definitively die. Yeah, yeah. Uh, An interesting thing I wanted to point out that you saying that you see people get killed reminded me was um, you don't actually see Dallas get killed. He only turns around the flamethrower in the air duct, that's sees right, the xenomorph. Yeah. And that's because there's a deleted scene where he's cocooned and Ripley finds him in like the final circuit. Um, but that's something they opted to introduce instead in Aliens where I guess it's the soldier aliens that do it because there's no queen on board the Nostromo. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of like wrap them up so they, they can't get away from the facehuggers. Mm-hmm. Sure. But yeah, it makes sense to remove it from this or else they would have implied that the Xenomorph was an, a queen, I guess, and somehow laid eggs aboard the Nostromo. Well, unless you sort of go into that that's just its base nature and so like if it's a soldier like if you want to take the example of a soldier bee or a soldier ant mm. like that's what it's bred or you know meant to do from birth so that's its instincts mm. so its instincts are to then either kill people in its way or collect them and set up for the queen or the, f- the fact that there's no queen there like he's still going to do it because that's what he was bred to do yeah okay i like that yeah that's my head cannon, and i'm mm. sticking to it <laughs> uh a morbid fact though yeah. because you reminded me of that uh in real life, the actors have died in the same order they died in the movies, apparently, as of like 2023. So like oh, wow. John, John Hurt was the first to die of the main characters in real life. Mm. He's the first die in the movie. And I can't remember the other names, but they then go on to, yeah, in real life, the actors have died in the order. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's, that's weird. Yeah. I do kind of like you see Sigourney Weaver pop up at the end of Paul. Gets <laughs> 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 squashed by a spaceship. Sure. I mean, she's also she also pops up at the end of Cabin in the Woods. Does she? Yep, she's oh, the, she's I can't the director. That. She's the director. Oh, yeah, weird. See, I don't know. You really like Cabin in the Woods, and you don't, and don't Sean and Jade it. talked finish, it up a lot. Don't finish your thoughts. Don't fin- don't you say those words. <laughs> I'm holding a, the fucking lighter. I'll light you on fire. I've got to have to rewatch it. I'm going to have to rewatch it. That's no, all I re- I'll say. I respect your wrong opinion. It's completely <laughs> fine to not enjoy a perfectly good movie. Um, it's good fun. It's good fun. I'll say that. Anyway, Alien went on to win an Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. It deserved it. <laughs> yeah, which is pretty cool. And uh, as we said before, man, a hell of a legacy. You got decent franchise out of it and uh, it's being parodied and other things like we've mentioned. What's your favourite? In this saga, by the way. Or, oh, or do you want to rank, rank the favourites? Oh, okay. Off the top of my head. You, you have easy. an unusual preference. From yeah. Because I... Yeah. Well, obviously, number one is my number one. Okay. A lot of people say it's aliens, but that's, you know, that's that's personal choice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, to me, for me, it goes one, two, and then I prefer resurrection over three. I know okay. a lot of people hate it. Okay. And that's, that, for good reason. It's, mm. it's not exactly a good movie. <laughs> but we were talking last night about it's... It's just shit enough to be one of those funny, like, shit B-grade horror movies. Yeah. It's uh, not good, but it's fun. Yeah, I think it was also the first one I saw. Oh, okay. Or maybe. I'm not, I don't want to say that for, for a fact. Okay. But anyway, so I reckon one, two, Resurrection, and then, I mean... Cubed? <laughs> I think the la- the other three can just kind of hang around together. Yeah. You know, like Prometheus and Alien Covenant. Well, Alien Covenant 
other than a few key scenes in it, is very forgettable. Yeah. I don't remember I, much about it. I think I was talking to Jaden about this, where it's like, I saw both of those, I think, in the movies, and I only remember the opening scene of Prometheus and the closing scene of Covenant. <laughs> I don't remember anything that happens in the middle. Yeah, I mean, Alien Covenant, like, apart from the like the spore scenes and then where, you know, their version of chestbursters, because it's not chestbursters, they just oh. kind of burst out. Kind their, of, their spines, their backs. Yeah, I do remember that actually. Yeah, yeah, like that. I like that aspect of it. Mm, doing but, something different. Yeah, uh, but yeah, you know, Prometheus. It's a bit stupid. Yeah. A lot of things in that movie. Prometheus and then, is a prequel, right? Yeah, yeah. Prometheus is pretty much uh, like the creation of him. I think it's meant to be. Mm. Yeah, and then yeah, Alien Three or Alien Cubed. <laughs> Other than it's got Charles Dance in it, you know, I don't really care. Yeah, no, that's true. And I guess with Alien 3 as well, set on like an all-male prison planet, you get that like sexual tension back. Yeah, the, but the fact that they kill, was it, Hicks and Newt off-screen between movies oh, is yeah. a, bit, a bit annoying. How yeah, you going? a lot of people were not a fan, but they went through a bunch of directors before they settled on Fincher for that, and they were still shooting before they had a finished script. So That's always a bad sign. Yeah. Like, and it, don't start making a movie if you don't know how it's going to end. Yeah. It was also the the introduction of CGI Xenomorph. Oh, uh, yeah. So, that was the start of the downfall. But it did have a Xenomorph dog. This is true. Yeah. But uh, if I were to rank them, it's probably just order of release, to be honest. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, could not tell you anything about Covenant or Prometheus to save my life. <laughs> um, but, yeah. That's uh, that is pretty much all I have to say about Alien. There is Alien. Yeah, that is that is it. I'm just looking at the cover here. You've got the DVD you picked up from a Lifeline on the on the table here. Mm-hmm. It's the famous cover of the egg that's like cracking, and you've got the misty green shit coming out. Yep. The eggs don't open like that. No, not a, not even slightly. I wonder if they maybe <laughs> had the art before like the finished film. I would assume so. Uh, otherwise, there's just some lack of communication. But- my boys, a lack of a communication between the two departments. I did just notice that though. Is that, is that your tattoo? Pretty much. Uh, oh no, your t- no. That's that's the cover of three. Oh, yeah, okay. my, my little chest burst is just. Like oh, a, that's right. Just a little guy. With you the say little. It's the size of your bicep. Yeah, we just small. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I tell you what though, uh, this will lead into what you're about to talk about. Yeah. Talk about, but in terms of horror posters, mm. that's that's got to be up there. One of the top horror posters. Yeah. Okay. Alien. Okay. It is. Uh, it's just so. Minimal and ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. what is it? I mean, it, it looks cool. It's got some intrigue. It has a yeah. certain amount of, you know, fear to it. What we did today, we thought we'd get it up and rolling before the first episode of the new year, is we have created a Facebook group for our uh, our top listeners, people who want to engage uh, with our theories and share their own. And uh, if you wish to join this Facebook group, search Deadheads. I think we've shared a link to it on our on our page as well, and we've got a few people in there already. So to kick things off, I posted something in there, mm-hmm. and I said, if you were to hang one horror poster in the dead house, what would it be? And we had none other than Mr. David Kleesh leave a comment there. And I think I'm going to move in with the man. <laughs> <laughs> because he said it's got to be The Exorcist, <laughs> preferably positioned next to the cover art from Goosebumps number one, welcome to Dead House. I love you, Dave. Yeah, I mean that. It, I think I picked that for my um, like favorite shot of the movie. Mm. Yeah, because that, it's, that'd be it's the when best he's in the, the streetlight, looking up at the fucking house. Yeah, with the purple that, font, which stands yeah, out as well. That 
I agree. Mm. Well, not I don't agree because I don't think it's the best. Mm. It's not my choice, but I agree that fuck that's a good choice. Yeah, yeah. I do like movie posters where it's just a shot from it. What would yours be? Like my number one, if yeah, I had yeah, to like, pick one. Yeah. Um. So I've got mine loaded. I know what mine is. I mean, it might even be Halloween, where you've got like the wrong choice fist no, holding incorrect. the knife that becomes a Jacqueline. <laughs> but uh, the singer of uh, one of my favorite bands, um, that is no longer a band, Dead and Divine, is now a horror graphic designer, and he gets paid by companies to do his own renditions of art for like anniversary and 4K releases of that's, old horror films. That's cool. So he like gives his own flair to some classics. Maybe one of his. Would be cool as well. But if I was to pick like a stock standard horror poster, probably the OG Halloween. Very cool. Very nice. What mine, about you? Mine would be, do you know what it is? Could you, t- could you wager a guess? I was thinking the thing with like the dude in the nah, suit and the know. light we, coming out of his we face. Have, well, we have talked about it on this episode, uh, kind of early days. Okay. Oh, would it be The Descent? No, it's The Evil Dead. Oh, okay. But now that you mentioned The Descent, fuck. <laughs> uh, I mean, The Evil Dead is a classic. Yeah. Just the arm out of the grave. No, it's a, it's a girl coming out of the grave. Oh, well, yeah, that's With true. An arm. And then the arms yeah. clawing at her. Yeah, true. Maybe we need a hallway. Yeah. You need a hall of posters and then all these shots that you're framing. I don't know, that can be like a gallery room. This dead house is turning into a dead mansion. <laughs> Speaking of which, would there be a shot from Alien that you'd frame? I couldn't think of one off the top of my head. And I forgot to pay attention when I was watching the movie because <laughs> I was having fun with some friends and had many beers. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't think it's... Like, it is a beautiful movie, mm. but I don't think there's any one shot that stood out in particular. I think if I was to pick one, it would probably be Dallas crawling through the air shaft. Because okay. you've got, like, this long... It looks cool, but it's not, like, an artistic shot. Okay. I mean, I like the flame just, like, glistening off all sides around him, and they just kind of fade into blackness. Like, you don't know where it starts or ends. Okay. I don't know. It's not artistic, though, is it? <laughs> I mean, I think so. Yeah, look, art is subjective. Yeah, right. all. Now that that's out of the way, also I wanted to mention: mm. uh, Did you re- did you realize that deadheads is what they also call people who are really into the what is it? The Talking Dead. The what? The, is that what they call, the, the what's the band called? The, oh, it, talking Heads. Talking Heads. <laughs> the, they, yeah, did you yeah. say the Talking Ted? Talk, I don't know what I said. <laughs> um. Anyway. But yeah. Anyway, just wanted to get that out of well, the way. We're gonna like, reclaim it. It's it's our loyal fan-based nickname now but even if you don't want to go into that very elite uh more interactive facebook group mm-hmm. you can just catch us on our regular social media at dead house or dead house pod smooth send some thank you send some emails <laughs> at deadhousepod at hotmail.com yeah yep. every you know 5 p.m on fridays yeah i think in that group we'll probably post some some tidbits from the forthcoming episode so people can have their say and then we'll drop it live when we yeah. record hell yeah anyway we'll be right back 